This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? I'm J.J. John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. I'm your host, Ben Solak. It is the preview show, week four, almost a quarter of the way through the season. Technically can't say that now because of 17 games, but I'm going to ignore it. And I'm going to bring in my good friends and co-hosts, Stephen Ruiz and Kalen Jones. Guys, uh, Bengals-Jags, Thursday night game, actually good. We've yet to get a bad primetime game despite the NFL's best efforts how do we feel about that now we know that Bucks Patriots is going to be a horrible game can you imagine <laughs> I actually I I kind of have a take about a bad primetime game not that specific game but that's for later in the show Kalen how you doing good good I enjoyed last night especially seeing Trevor Lawrence you know kind of spin it it, it was fun he him and Joe Burrow going at it. I think like the NFL is doing a good job. If you're going to give us Thursday night football, at least give us some type of narrative, like compelling narrative. Right. The, the two first, first overall quarterbacks. My thing is this. You could put any NFL game on Thursday night football, especially early in the season. I'll watch that, John. Like, it could have been 30 to nothing at <laughs> half. I would have been in for the second half. As NFL football, I was reflecting last night like, it really is so nice that it, it, it is back with fans and, and it, it's healthy and it's been safe for everybody so far. Generally, we've had no, no big COVID problems, had the one with the Saints, but it, it feels back. It feels real. It definitely feels better than last year and the games have been uh, enjoyable. So we're having a, a lot of fun so far this season and we have a lot of fun on this show uh, previewing, as I say, the week four slate. We do it in three stages. In the first stage, we have our games of the week. In our second stage, we have games that need games. So good games, but ones that we want little mini games and talking points to get through. And then our final segment, Give Me a Reason, in which I try to convince Steven and Caitlin to watch the worst games of the week, and they tell me no, because my reasons are bad. But it is a loaded week, uh, and the headline for everybody this week will be, of course, Tom Brady uh, visiting Foxborough in a different jersey for the first time ever, his home of two decades. Uh, we gave this one to Steven because of his enduring love for Tom Brady. Uh, Pat's Bucks, undoubtedly the game of the week. Steven, what are we watching? First of all, I love both quarterbacks in this game. <laughs> I'm not biased either way. But what are we watching? I, 
like I feel like the narrative is going to be obviously is going to take over, but I do think this is an interesting game on the field just because of what we've seen out of the Patriots and what I want to see from them going forward. And I watched the defensive film from their three games this season and not impressed. Not impressed. The cowards' approach to defense, I'd say. They lead the league in three-man rushes right now. Mm-hmm. Can you guess how what percentage of their defensive plays three-man rush? Oh, dang. Okay, so the Panthers last year led the league with 124 snaps. So that would have been like a little bit over 10% for them. So like eight? 25%. That's bad. Percent. That's really bad. That's scary. <laughs> 25%. Okay, but... This is nuts because Matt Judon and Josh Uche lead the league right now in pass rush win rate. They're the two top players. Yeah, I, well, I, I do wonder why they're doing this because I think their <laughs> pass rush is like the strength of the team right now with Stefan Gilmore out. And I don't know. Maybe it works against Brady because that has been a strategy that teams have used in the past. They've been using three-man rushes against them. I don't know how effective it's been. I don't have the analytics on it. But I'm, I want to see if their game plan for Sunday is different from what they've been doing, or are they going to be more blitz-heavy? They're, they're 23rd in blitz rate. They're 30th in four-man uh, four rush rate, and then first in three-man rush. So I'm really interested to see how they attack this game. And, I mean, if I'm them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the three-man rush. I know it's a cowardly way to play defense, but against this offense, I think you might need to do it. I think you look at the three offenses that they've faced so far, the Dolphins with Tua, the Jets with Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston and the Saints. I mean, those are three offenses where I kind of feel comfortable as a defensive coordinator saying, okay, we don't have to give pressure on you. We're just going to confuse the quarterback. And it seems like it's worked so far. And yeah. it's like it's honestly like they're going against the grain, which is a Patriots thing to do, right? But, right. like, the rest of the league is, you know, all in on two high shells, light boxes, they are 32nd in light box rate, according to Sports Info Solutions. They are 32nd in two eye shells. So mm-hmm. they're zigging while the rest of the league is zagging, and it's not really working. So maybe adjust some things. I feel I, I, I want to. I want to just like historically, are they zigging where everyone else is zagging, or are they just doing what they've always done in the league, which certainly like at times has tried to run Belichick style defenses? Is like heck. If we can't do this, we got we got to do something else. So are they just like staying their course, or are they really like zigging one of the other teams are zagging? I think I don't think they're actually looking at the league and saying we're going to do the opposite of what they're doing. This is right. how they play defense before they got all these man corners and they were able to play a lot of zero and blitz a lot. Like this is how they were playing when their defense was pretty bad around the start of the decade, like 2010 through 2013, 14, when they were playing a lot of single high, a lot of uh, cover three, sending a lot of fire zones. That's what they're doing right now. That's what their defense looks like, and it's not like it was at the beginning of the decade. It wasn't good back then. It's not very mm-hmm. good right now. So I want to – this is a general open question then because, right, the Patriots' defense is trying to figure stuff out. It hasn't been amazing through three weeks. It's been, like, fine. I got the Zach Wilson game, but whatever. We were talking about this with, with Kevin Clark, our buddy, during the week in terms of Belichick's been planning for the past 20 years how he would stop Brady, right? Like, that's a fun – pre-game narrative my question is like is that real like you brought up like we rush three and drop eight like, people, people have tried this against brady but it seems like nothing really stops him you can maybe slow him down you can maybe get them out of their ideal play but he's just too good so like is there something is there anything that 
Belichick could have in his back pocket that no team has tried against Tom Brady? Is there some sort of, you know, Mike secret stuff that gets this done? Because to me, there isn't. No, I, there probably isn't. But I think you look back at that Rams tape from last year, and that's what, that's what you focus on. Cause You're saying the Rams defense against Tampa from last yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I forget what we, – we talked about this game last week, but that was the game that I thought the defensive coordinator really had a beat on what the Bucks were trying to do, and they shut down everything. They were uh, doubling the seams, which is a, a Belichick type of thing to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a game plan that's totally different from what we've seen over the first three weeks. But I don't know if Belichick has confidence in this secondary that he's not calling plays as if he does. Kalen, how much do you buy it? Belichick's been holding the Brady, the beat Brady game plan, the blueprint for 20 years, and he's ready to display it this Sunday. Yay or nay? Uh, I don't believe, I don't believe, <laughs> like buy that, that narrative. I like, I, it's breaking my brain. I can't even spit it out. Right. Um, I mean, the idea that they face each other in practice, you know, for the past 20 years. Sure. I mean, they've been going up against each other head to head for so long. But, you know, going back to Steven's point, like if the Patriots have been successful, at least, I guess, solid so far, sitting back and, you know, deploying eight in coverage, I don't look at this roster and, and say, OK, like they're going to be able to beat Brady in the typical way that we know teams have been able to beat Brady. And that's by generating consistent pressure throughout the game. If the if the Patriots can't do that, then Tampa Bay is going to have a field day. I will right, say this about I'll say this about last year about saving game plans so to speak. Their defense the first I forget when they played the Chiefs last year. I think it was week 4. It was a game that was rescheduled, but their first 3 games the defense looked totally different from what they did on that I think they might have played on like a Tuesday afternoon or whatever. When they played the Chiefs last year, totally different game plan. So maybe you know, Belichick is saving something for a quarterback who is actually threatening. It's not like mm-hmm. you're playing two or Zach Wilson this week or even Jameis. You're playing yeah. Tom Brady. I I do not buy that Belichick's been saving the beat Brady blueprint for 20 years. I do buy I am willing to call a defense completely different than the one I think I actually should for three weeks and lose a game against the New Orleans Saints because of it if it gives me the ability to make – Byron Leftwich adjust on the fly. I think that's real. You know what I mean? I, I do think that this league leading rushing with only three, while you have Joshua J. and Matt Judon playing outside of their mind, that smells fishy to me. That that seems like something where they're gonna come out, and I expect them to come out with a lot of heat against Brady. I think you always say, like, if you can't beat a, if you can't beat a guy straight out, if you just don't have a way to win against an offense, then you have to invite chaos. It's either you're gonna rip off an explosive play on us. 50-yard touchdown to Rob Gronkowski, or we're getting a sack. Those are the only two outcomes I want, right? I'm not going to exist somewhere in a middle ground where you just dice me up for four quarters. So I I do think there's some credence to that season-long arc, not like career-long arc, but season-long arc of Belichick kind of hiding his pitches uh, and and, and waiting for this opportunity against Brady. Uh, Other side of the ball, level of concern I mean, it's so like this This Bucks defense has sustained some injury, right? We, we're going to play Ross Cockrell and D. Delaney at corner for some major snaps because Jamel Dean uh, is banged up. There's a chance he plays. Uh, we've got Sean Murphy Bunting, who's out. Carlton Davis has been banged up. Richard Sherman's been signed. Like, there's been a lot of turnover in the defensive backfield. Mac Jones good enough to to hang with Brady here for four quarters? Can this passing game get it done or no? Kalen. 
<laughs> no. Um, I mean, it'd be, <laughs> it, it'd be entertaining if he somehow found a way to, but no, I, I just don't see it. And, you know, Stephen can probably dive more into this because he just wrote an article on TheRinger.com about it. But um, I, I just don't see how, considering how tapered the game plan has been and, like, focusing Mac on playing within the first 10 yards – instead of mm-hmm. letting him, you know, spin the ball deep, and especially against this defense, against Todd Bowles' uh, scheme, like, I, I don't expect him to, to find much success, like, for anything to change this week. I do think this is going to be a good test for Mac Jones and where he's at mentally, because I think Todd Bowles is just going to blitz the ever-living shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Team Defenses have been doing that for the first three weeks. He's, I think Justin Fields is the highest has the highest blitz rate, but he's only started one game. And then it's Kirk Cousins and Mac Jones. Like, those are the two guys that are getting blitzed. So I wonder if Bowles is going to heat him up or maybe he'll, you know, play a more conservative zone approach and force Mac Jones to throw deeper throws into tight windows because he's been turning those throws down. And I that's what I wrote about in the article, and I had a video, like a two-minute compilation of him throwing uh, – or turning down throws downfield mm-hmm. to throw more conservative throws. So I wonder if that's the strategy, just like – hey, give him all the time in the pocket that he wants. We know he's going to throw the check down if his wide receiver isn't wide open and his receivers aren't getting wide open every play. That's how I would approach the game, and I think that's probably how the Bucks are going to do it. I, I think they'll mix it up, actually, give him some blitz looks and do that, and I really don't see this Pats offense having a lot of success, especially if McDaniels is so insistent on running the ball. Yeah, so, if if there's a quarterback who's doing something cowardly, Steven's got a two-minute compilation of it without fail. It's just what Steven does. Just makes two-minute, 20-second Twitter video compilations of no filler making bad decisions or bad throws. Never filler. Uh, right, you brought up the, the dedication to running the football. To me, the biggest issue right now with the Patriots isn't Mac Jones. Like, Mac is what he is. Like, we knew that Mac was not going to be able to be the same downfield passer in – the NFL is he was at Alabama because he doesn't have the arm to do that in Alabama. Yeah. Boys running scot free 40 yards down the field. Like that does not happen in the league with consistency. So he's been largely what you expected. The offensive line hasn't, uh, they cannot get the movement in the running game that you expected. We, we talked about how they were going to be just people movers up front. They haven't been that. And they've been liable in pass protection. Obviously Trent Brown needs to come back off of injury, but in general, I think they've been disappointing to me. That's the biggest concern, right? Teams facing the Bucks have the highest neutral situation pass rate of any of, of all offenses in terms of the opposing defense they face. You do not try to run on this team. If they want to try to run on this team, because that's how they built it. They got a fullback. They got a stable of running backs. They've got a huge offensive line. With the way that this offensive line's been playing, it is not going to go well. And now all of a sudden you're down in a multi-score hole early. You can't control time of possession. You can't keep Brady on the bench. Good night, sayonara. Like, it's over. So I, I agree with you. The The running game and the adherence to that in an attempt to like win time of possession be a, a, a death by a thousand paper cuts offense i don't see that model Mm-mm. succeeding against tampa All now, right, so rpos yeah. just more rpos please spread it out and mm-hmm. run that's a better you don't have to rely on the offensive line to move people and i don't think they're going to do it this week i think it will take some time so i'm picking the bucks and i don't even think it's going to be close yeah i also have the bucks i think it's a multi-score win i just don't think patriots have the horses right now yep, same here yeah yep taking the bucks I, I'd like a big Jacoby Myers game, though, just so I can continue my Jacoby Myers propaganda. Next game on the docket for us, uh, we have Cardinals-Rams, the one of two NFC West matchups. So we decided to pick Cardinals-Rams because they're less embarrassing in general than Seattle and San Francisco can be at times. Uh, both unbeatens, right? 3-0 versus 3-0, Steven? Yep. 
All right. Well, Kalen, this one's yours because it's either Patrick Mahomes or LA. We're still trying to come up with other ideas by which to give you games. Uh, what are we expecting in this one? Um, I mean, you're looking at this being one of the most exciting matchups of the week, first of all. Um, before we get to the Rams offense, though, I want to talk about the Cardinals offensive line. Um, Rodney Hudson, I'm really curious like how he's changed the dynamic for the Cardinals this season. Um, typically over the past few years, like we've talked about Arizona's offensive line has really struggled both in pass pro and run blocking. Um, this year, they're fourth in ESPN's pass block win rate, 11th in run block win rate. Um, I'm curious how that changes the dynamic going up against Aaron Donald and the Rams uh, defensive front. The Rams typically blitz pretty frequently. They rank ninth in blitz percentage at 28.9%. Um, last week was really the first time this year where we saw the Rams defense didn't have any issues. Like we talked about how they were a bend don't break unit through the first few weeks, especially kind of letting the, the Bears and the Colts offenses walk them down the field. But they found a way in the red zone to come up with stops. They found a way to come up with turnovers. Last week against the Buccaneers, shut everything down. Really only let up, I think, would have been 13 points had it not been uh, for a blocked field goal So in the first half against the Buccaneers. So uh, I'm curious to see if that success can continue this week against Kyler Murray. Um, I think the big stat with him this year has been how well he's done under pressure. Last year um, was blitz, or excuse me, was pressured at 26% of the time, around the same percentage this year at 27%. But the big difference is that last year he was only completing 44% of his passes under pressure. This year that's at 61. And last week we saw how the Rams enjoyed, you know, kind of blitzing uh, Jalen Ramsey from different spots. They were finding ways to get after Tom Brady. Um, I'm curious to see if those curveballs can work against Kyler Murray, uh, who's shown an improvement passing the football this year so far against three, you know, underwhelming opponents. So those are the two big pieces that I'm looking at going into the matchup. I just want to note that Steven made surprised white guy gift face when you dropped the Kyler Murray passing under pressure stat. <laughs> when you when you said 61%, Steven just went straight eyebrows. Hello. Uh, yeah, Steven, this Kyler, like, it's not a resurgence. It's not like a, like a step forward. It's just simply... We've seen this caliber of play from him before on like one or two game stretches or like even like across the course of a half. We've gotten it over three games now. But as Kalen brought up, this is kind of one of the biggest defensive tests. So how much are we buying this in terms of Kyler taking the step forward and, and the Cardinals offense being able to always live on Kyler's creativity, always live on his improvisation? Is that enough? Is he talented enough that that model can work for four quarters against the Rams defense? Now, I think that question is a little complicated because I mm -hmm. do think the Cardinals' offense is a little too, you know, Kyler-centric. Kyler's playmaking-centric. But I will say this, Kyler does leave some plays on the field just because he's not totally comfortable in the pocket. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to find a middle ground there. I don't want to blame it all on Cliff, the, the fact that they rely on Kyler to do crazy stuff to get big plays because there are big plays he's, he's leaving on the field. But I... I think Kyler's just taking another step. Like mentally, you could see it before the snap. He's more involved. He's seeing things, seeing blitzes before the snap. And I'm happy that Kalen brought up Rodney Hudson because I think that's a big reason why. And Cardinals players have pointed to Rodney Hudson and said, yeah, he's changed things. Because protections were a big issue for Cliff's offense for the first two years. And now they're not so much of an issue. And we've seen Kyler beat cover zero a couple times this year in big spots. In that week one game, he did it. He beat the Titans for two touchdowns when they were playing cover zero. 
against the Vikings, that one play, I think it was fourth down maybe, when he threw it to Christian Kirk, he kind of lobbed it up over the middle. It was a big play late in the game, also against cover zero. So I think Rodney Hudson's presence on the line is going to help them, especially against a Rams defense that's so blitz-heavy. If Raheem Morris wants to light him up with blitzes, I don't know if that's going to work. I think the combination of Kyler and Rodney Hudson seeing everything before the snap is going to make that a little harder harder to do. Yeah, I was impressed by that Rams passing defense against the Bucks. Did not think they'd be able to play as well as they did. We talked about the space in that zone, right, and the fact that they weren't necessarily suffocating windows as much as they had been previously. And they took a step forward. They contested a lot of balls. They felt confident against the Bucks. What I'm wondering is, is Kyler ascended to that point where he has to start being played like Russ? Where it's, okay, you can complete a deep ball 50 yards down the field on us five seconds into the snap, and we have we can't, we just, there's no way we stop that. That's impossible. That breaks the rules. So we're going to sit in deep shells. We're going to make you try to throw intermediate middle of the field, make you try to throw short middle of the field, areas that you hate, and we're going to test your patience. We're going to make you take quick, timely checkdowns and stay ahead of the sticks. We're going to make you into a quick game nickel and dime passer because you don't want to be that. And we think if we force you to be that, eventually you're going to hold onto the ball longer than you should because you're going to be thirsting for making a big play. And you're going to try to force the ball downfield into a window you shouldn't test. And that's going to be your mistake because that's that's the Brandon Staley model. It's we're going to be more patient than you. You're going to go hunt explosives before you should. So this defense stymied Russ three times last year, right? And it was under Brandon Staley. Now it's Raheem Morris, a little bit different. But I'm wondering if the Rams force the Cardinals to be patient and to not live on the explosive. Do we think that Kyler is mature enough to win that battle and to just be a part of the offense for four quarters? I don't think so yet. I mean, watching Mm -hmm. Kyler's play, I still think that, you know, the explosive game is so important to how he functions. And I still think, again, I think that he's definitely taken a step mentally this season, but I think this is the matchup where he's going to be trying to push a little bit too much. I think when you look at the Bucks game, Brady had to make a lot of perfect throws. Like, we, you mentioned how there were spaces in the zones, like, earlier in the season. But Brady had to make pinpoint perfect throws. I think there were a few, the Gronkowski, where he ended up dropping, you know, intermediate deep passes. Because, you know, it, ha- it had to be a perfect throw. Otherwise, Jordan Fuller was closing in or Taylor Rapp was making a play all over his defender. I don't know if Kyler is going to be able to come up with the same type of precision that is going to be begged of him if the Rams aren't coming after him. Because in the first matchup, they only blitzed him not on nine, uh, nine attempts. In the second matchup they, in his career, 11 times, thir- three out of the 18 attempts that he, he played before Chris Shuffler relieved him in that third, in that fourth match. So I, I don't think that the Rams are going to, to necessarily sit back. They're going to pick their spots and be aggressive, but I think Kyler's still going – like this is going to be the game where Kyler kind of takes his lumps and figures out like how mm-hmm. to be precise. Yeah, quarterbacks have habits, man. That's always the thing is like you can grow, but you have habits. And when the gun gets tough, you typically fall back on them. That's what play style is. Yeah, I, I feel like people – I'm glad you brought up Russ because I think that's the comparison, right? And I would say he's almost where Russ was out, uh, probably like four years ago. So he's ahead of schedule in that regard. Mm-hmm. Where where I don't think he's quite Russ is protecting the ball. Kyler is still willing to make throws into difficult in difficult windows – and I still think he's liable to turn over the ball more than Russ ever was. And that's 
the next step for Kyler for me. I think the volatility, the the play out of structure is sustainable for him. It's not mm-hmm. sustainable for a lot of quarterbacks. Russ is one of them. Kyler is one of them. And you got to be a freak athlete and have a ridiculous arm, and both of those guys do. I, I want to see what the next step is. Because Ru- Russ eventually took that next step. Will Kyler do it? And I think this game is going to give us a little clue as to whether it's going to happen this year. Yeah. Other side of the ball real quick. Uh, I was poking around stats the other day, and I found just the delightful stat of the Arizona Cardinals defense, who right now is second in the, uh, in, in the, in the league in explosive passing plays allowed. They've allowed explosive passing plays on only 4% of their defensive dropbacks. That is unbelievable. That's tremendous. Uh, they're also absolute last in the league in explosive run plays allowed. They've allowed an explosive run on 19% of the run plays they've defended. That's horrible. Uh, yeah, the next closest is Las Vegas at 17%. So it's a pretty big difference. Uh, this Rams passing offense has been ludicrously explosive. They're fifth in, in explosive passing plays. They are not as successful in explosive running plays, but getting Daryl Henderson back in this game, they have been running the ball decently well. Cardinals real enough defense to to slow down Stafford in this attack, or are we not feeling that? I don't think so, even though I'm yeah. glad that we finally are giving respect to Byron Murphy, man, and Buda Baker. Yeah, it was your I boy. You said one. in the beginning of the season. That's <laughs> <Dude>. right. <laughs> He's been but awesome, I mean, man. It, he has. He has. Shouts out to Washington and Jimmy Lake. Um, but, I mean, the Rams live in empty, man. Like, those four-by-one sets, like, where you have four on one side of the field and they, they find tricky ways to get and release these guys deep down into the field. Like, and I think when you consider how well they, they kind of like deployed Deshaun Jackson, Van Jefferson, they're going to be able to stretch the secondary deep. And I'm honestly more concerned for like that intermediate area, like asking Zayvon Collins and maybe Isaiah Simmons to come up with stops in the short intermediate, intermediate game. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I'm a little bit more concerned if I'm the Cardinals because I think the secondary is good enough to hang. I just think McVay is, one, too creative. And, two, like the, the playmakers that the Rams have, especially in terms of after cap, uh, Cooper Cup being able to find space uh, behind this defense, I think that they're going to have a lot of success, not necessarily on the big explosive plays that we've seen over the past few weeks, but it's really going to be on the intermediate stuff where it's not necessarily death by a thousand paper cuts, but more like 50. Yeah. The uh, lesson, Isaiah Simmons – playing 80, 85% of the snaps every single game so far this year, right? Like, they are not taking – is even Collins the same thing. They are not taking their early drafted linebacker off the field. If you leave Isaiah Simmons in coverage against Big Bay, he will throw on every mm-hmm. first and ten, <laughs> and he will put that boy in a blunder. That, his uh, head is going to yeah. be spinning. It's already been – when I, I've only watched defense, I think, once. I think I watched him against Tennessee, and his head was spinning then. He makes plays. Like, when he's running to the right spot, when he guesses right, it looks phenomenal. But when he has to read <laughs> stuff out and, the, and he gets his read wrong – It's tough, man. Playing linebacker in the NFL sucks. It especially sucks. against this coaching tree. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, the, it's funny, like when Sean McVay dawned in 2017 or 2018, whatever, and everybody was asking who's the next McVay this year, the next McVay is McVay. It's just McVay with right. Stafford because he's just McVay unleashed. Yeah, exactly. It's McVay 2.0. It's so much fun. Yeah. I have the Rams in this one just because Cardinals defense doesn't have my faith just yet. Same spot for you guys. Yeah. I'm going, I'm picking the Rams. Yeah. yeah I'm taking the Rams. I think Let it's it a, known. I think it's a close game though. 
I'll yeah, say that. let it be known we were consensus Chiefs and consensus Bucks last week, so we have got to stop having consensus picks on this <laughs> podcast. It is not going well for us. All uh, right, I'll just take the Cardinals. I'll take the Cardinals. Then. Thank you, Steven. All right. Because someone didn't let me forget. Someone with the at name Staff Turd literally called me out <laughs> after the Bucks lost to the Rams. It was like, the Ringer NFL show sucks. You guys all picked the, the Buccaneers to beat the Rams. I was like, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah. I'll, never pick the de- I'll never pick the defending Super Bowl champions to win a game again. That's my mistake. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Okay, our last game, we should have some, some different picks. This is Ravens versus Denver, which is another 4 o'clock game. Uh, this one's mine, and it's just super interesting to me because Denver's 3-0, and and I really want to believe it. Uh, I think I've said this on the, on the Sunday show, or excuse me, the Monday show. They're good. They're definitely good. They're doing good things. You watch film, and you're like, yes, that is good. But then beyond that, like where exactly in the spectrum of good they fall, I could not tell you. Because they faced the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Giants. Teams that are combined 0-9, 0-10, because the Jaguars just lost. So they have not played a team with a win, which makes it very difficult to calibrate to what you see happening on the field. So there's two major things that I want to watch for. Uh, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater stepped into the, the starting quarterback role very nicely. He's lost both Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler uh, over the course of the first three games of the season. So very big Tim Patrick uh, game. Who Patrick's looked really good, part of the offense through the first three weeks. Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton, who's really settling in, coming off a of major injury. Bridgewater has been aggressive. Uh, he's ninth in air yards to the sticks at 0.2, which is a next-gen stat, which means he's throwing beyond the sticks on average. Extremely new for Teddy. Air yards are, are nine is at 9.1, which is tied for seventh. He's been aggressive, pushing the ball downfield. However, they're mostly doing it on third downs right now. Uh their offense on early downs is 20th in pass rate and 20th in dropback EPA. They're ninth in rush EPA, but they're still not picking up a ton of early down yardage. It's third down where they're winning. They're 0.713 in EPA, which is the second best. 58% success rate. It's fourth in the league. Bridgewater's uh, CPOE, completion percentage over expectation, is 11.1. They are dominating through the air on third down. Not a sustainable model. You do not want to, like, that's what everybody's afraid of this with the Chargers. The Broncos are right there underneath them. They're not, like, first in all these things. They're, like, third and fourth, but it's the same thing. Where a passing game is saving some poor early down decisions and some cautious early down play, 
Bridgewater gets to third and long, and he's able to hit Tim Patrick on a dig, able to hit Cortland Sutton on a back shoulder, and they're able to pick up the first down. You go up against the Ravens defense that is sixth in the league right now in terms of EPA allowed on third down at negative uh, 0.252. Their conversion rate allowed is eighth best. They are really good on third downs. Don Week Martindale loves to blitz on third downs. That's the first thing you're watching for. If the Broncos try to live in third and long against a non-New York slash Jacksonville defense, I think they're in trouble. Have to pass on early downs. The other thing you're watching for is this is our first ever Vic Fangio versus Lamar, which if you're like a football nerd, this is it, right? I mean, this is one of the two, three most preeminent defensive minds in the league right now, finally getting a crack at Lamar Jackson. We've seen Brandon Staley try to defend him, I think. Maybe not. No, we haven't. They didn't play the we Rams haven't, no. Yeah, but we saw, we've seen Bill Belichick do it, right? And everybody was super stoked. Well, here's Vic Fangio, who is the grandfather of this defense that's currently proliferating across the league. Uh, and they actually had some really interesting quotes. This is Ed Donatel, who's the, the defensive coordinator for the, the, the Broncos, saying uh, of, of defending Lamar Jackson, there are times where there will be people looking at him, but everybody has that responsibility, all 11 people. Quote, there's a second play that you're going to have to play when he gets off rhythm, and you need great discipline in those times too, which I think is such a cool way of describing how Lamar plays. There's a there's the play, and then there's the second play, which happens after the first play, but it's still during the first play because you defended everything the way you should, and now Lamar's doing his own thing, and I got to go play defense again, right? It literally is like you play twice as much defense against the Ravens than you do against other teams because there's two plays in every play. Um so they've talked a lot about how there's good, there's a structure for what they're going to do defensively to take away the Ravens' offense, and then there's a second structure in terms of they're going to take away just Lamar. And as we saw against uh, like the Lions, the whole Baltimore offense was conspiring against Lamar. The receivers were dropping everything. Is that different? Is that yeah. like that's what we see? Every- right. The, the 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 running back rotation was abysmal. Like Latavius Murray was featured. Tyson Williams got benched. And yet still, Lamar's able to get out and win that game because that second play is so good. So the two major things I'm watching, Broncos third down, got to be smart on early downs. And then whatever Fangio does against the Ravens, listen, as we saw the quote shared, uh, teams are calling up the lines being like, yo, how'd you stop Lamar? Like we're three weeks in and still nobody has an answer. Uh, So this Fangio versus Lamar is, is really like in terms of football nerd X's and O's stuff, this is about as cool as it gets. Yeah, and I want to give a shout-out to Lamar because he is making some ridiculous throws this year, and he's, like, Mm -hmm. attempting throws that he didn't really make in his first three years starting. He leads the league right now in air yards to the sticks. I saw when I found the Bridgewater style. He is pushing the ball. And he's getting Rashad Bateman back this week, I believe. Oh, yes. I can't believe I I forgot. Yeah, so no no more Hollywood Brown running deep digs. (laughs) Like, he is in 100. 50 pounds i'm gonna like lower his weight every time i mention him like by the end of the season i'm gonna be saying he's 110 pounds it's always important to remember that hollywood brown is my size (laughs) right yeah the funniest thing is the fact that kyler murray and hollywood brown like decimated the big 12 and they were both like a combined 200 pounds (laughs) but yeah like you said bed like that's the reason to to tune in i don't even care about the other side of the ball even though teddy's been interesting i just want to see how Vic Fangio attacks Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, is he going to do some college-style fronts? Like, that's the big, that's been the big difference between the Staley defense yep. and the Fangio defense. Like, Staley does more funky fronts. He's not really doing it so much now that he's in Los Angeles and doesn't have those bodies on the line. But, I, but Fangio does, and I wonder how he uses them. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm curious about is the, the – excuse me. The other thing I'm curious about is the Broncos, 
usually get away with playing A.J. Johnson and Josie Jewell, their two linebackers, on the field at the same time. And listen, I respect immensely how hard Josie Jewell tries. But with that said, this is not – you do not want both these guys on the field trying to match Lamar. They have mad defensive back depth. Right, even with injury considered, you have Patrick Sertan, you have Fuller, you have Bryce Callahan, you have Kareem Jackson, you have Justin Simmons. We gotta live and die. Play dying. We gotta live. Listen, if it means Michael Ojemudie gets big boyed by Sammy Watkins a couple times on the outside, suck it. I don't care. Like you gotta. This is what you have to live with. You cannot leave Johnson and Jewel on the field, man. You can't scrape exchange and expect Josie Jewel. To take Lamar Jackson one on one, you to can't scrape exchange and expect Devin White to do it. So Josie Jewell, like again, I got love for Josie Jewell. I respect you, Josie Jewell, but like this is just beyond what you want defensively. So yeah, I think that college inspiration, right? College fronts. Are they gonna have? Are they gonna take that that nickel and put him inside of the receiver and make him part of the run fit, right? Like how are they gonna do some of these things that you saw Staley tweak from this defense to make it a lot more collegey? Are you gonna see Fangio kind of tail that, or is he just gonna come with something different? Um, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, Alejandro Villanueva, and um, Patrick McCarry. Uh, you, those are, or excuse me, Bradley Chubb is out, but Vaughn Miller, time to dominate. Like this is a, if Vaughn's fully back and he looks fully back, this is a huge yeah. game for him as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little like six one front, a little uh, Patriots Rams Super Bowl yeah. sort of look. Yeah, yeah, because that came from Fangio, and that's a front he uses on in base defense a lot. So I would not be surprised if we see that. Yeah, they got to go downhill on that if they get it. All right, this is a uh, it's a, a one-point spread right now. The Ravens on the road in Mile High in September, usually a big advantage uh, for the home team, the Broncos. But the Ravens, one-point dogs. I think the Ravens win it. The big thing for me, which I didn't mention at the top, is both Graham Glasgow and Dalton Reisner, the interior guards for uh, the Broncos, have yet to practice as of recording on Friday morning. Didn't see them practice on Thursday, which means you could have Quinn Miners, a rookie, and Atana Moody, a second-year player, both starting a guard. You do not want interior offensive line confusion against Wink Martindale. He will eat you alive. Uh, so to me, I think the Ravens are able to win it. I think they're able to cause enough consternation in that Broncos offense to sneak out with it. Don't expect it to be super high scoring, but I like the Ravens. Yeah, I would say Ravens like 24-17, I think is where I would go with it. Damn, Steven beat me to it. So I'll pick the Broncos. Um, I mean, yes, I, wrote thank about, you. <laughs> I wrote about Bridgewater today. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he hasn't changed too much of his style. Like, he's not being any riskier with the balls, like uh, being aggressive and forcing balls in the tight windows. It's going to hurt with them losing KJ Hamler. It's going to hurt with them not having um, their interior lineman, as Ben just pointed out. But um, – Trust in Teddy. We'll see if he gets another yeah. week, especially at home. I'll take the Broncos. Yeah, I uh, I would love for Teddy to win this game just so we can start some real Bridgewater propaganda. It would make me happy. Okay, we are looking at our second segment, which is games which need games. Our second category this week is actually pretty chock full of some good games. It's a really good week of NFL football. I want to start uh, with the game to me that's most interesting, which is the Carolina Panthers. Uh, 3-0, tr- league-leading defense, very exciting very similar to the Broncos, and that it feels like they haven't been tested. Jets, Saints, and Houston Texans have been the three games to them thus far. They get the Dallas Cowboys, who are 2-1 and one, with a last-second loss to the defending champions, holding them back from 3-0. and out. So This, to me, is a very similar game in terms of big heat check for Carolina and Dallas. Uh, Kalen, you have a buy or sell for us on this one. I do have a buy or sell. So do you guys believe that Dallas's offense is versatile enough to beat this Panthers defense? Oh, yes. yeah. I think Dak Prescott is going to pick this defense apart because all of that 
pre-snap disguise stuff, I don't think it's going to work against one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. He picked, This is what he lives for. This is Dak's game. I, mm-hmm. If they try to play the, the way they've been playing the first three games, I'm sorry, he's not Davis Mills. Like, it's not going to work. He's not Low Zach key? Wilson. Loki Davis Mills was kind of nice against the Panthers. More on that later when I try to make that case and <laughs> actually fail. But, um, right, I, uh, so I wrote about this Panthers defense, right? And, and a lot of it is uh, predicated on this idea of simulated pressures. We, we talk about creepers at the line of scrimmage. You should look, uh, Stephen wrote a tremendous piece about creepers two off-seasons ago, Stephen. Yeah, uh, yeah, delightful piece, which I massively plagiarized when I was writing my article. <laughs> Don't tell the, my boss. No, no anyway, problem. Uh, Simulated pressures. We're going to put seven dudes on the line of scrimmage. Four of them are coming. So it's not really a blitz because we're not bringing an extra guy. It's just you don't know which four are coming, and it's going to be hard for you to block them up. That means at times we're dropping Daquan Jones into zone coverage. But guess what? If the blitz gets there, you weren't able to take advantage of Daquan Jones' zone coverage. So it's right. As Stephen brought up, it's very chaotic. It's very moving around pre-snap. Prescott is just so doggone good pre-snap, right? And And – I, it's a good question for you to ask, Caitlin, because Steven and I are both probably too far on this train of really believing Prescott's one of the most cerebral quarterbacks, one of the smartest quarterbacks that can beat any defense, whatever. But that's how he has seemed end of 2019, what we saw of him in 2020. Like, he's just so good. You even go back to this Bucks game uh, in 2021. Yeah. Prescott's the second most blitz quarterback in the league right now. All of the blitzes came against the Bucks because he plays the Eagles right. and the Chargers. They don't blitz him at all. Uh, and he's taking free corner rushers to the chin and throwing six-yard outs before the corner tur- or the receiver turns. You know what I mean? Like, he's so good at getting to where the open space will be behind blitz packages. So defenses can only throw so much chaos, uh, and I think that Prescott can survive that chaos. And when it comes time for Carolina to just man up and play, lost J.C. Horn, don't have a ton of great depth. It's going to be Rashawn Melvin, A.J. Bowie, Bouye, and, and Dante Jackson covering CeeDee Lamb and, my, and uh, Amari Cooper to me that's advantage Cowboys. So I do think they have enough of a passing game to get this thing done. Did you see yeah. what Matt, Matt rule said about Dak Prescott? No, but I generally don't love Matt rules. Comments. He finally gave, this is the first time I've heard anyone say this besides like us in the deck <laughs> fan club. The he compared, he, he said he's doing Peyton Man, He's Peyton Manning and Tom Brady at the line right now. He's not so wrong. I'm, one thing I'll say is at least the Panthers are aware and maybe we don't see the same game plan that we've seen the first three weeks, and maybe they back mm-hmm. off and play a little more like they played a lot last year, which yep. also is not going to work because Dak Prescott is patient in the pocket, and he's just going to pick you apart. Right. Basically what I'm saying is Dak Prescott is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and it's very difficult to defend him no matter what you do. I was going to say, like, in addition to Dak, like, one playing at the level that he is, how much of his brain, you know, pre-snap recognition, everything that he sets up at the line – is enabling what Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott are able to do. I mean, obviously, Zach Martin coming back to lineup is huge. All-pro offensive lineman. Terrence Steele at right tackle actually doesn't even look bad. He looks like a mm-hmm. pretty solid Listen, 35-and-a-half-inch arms solve a lot of problems, brother. <laughs> you ain't got to do a lot well if you're that long. We love to see it. Yeah, but seriously, like, how much does – Dak's mind helped set up what Tony Pollard and Zeke have been able to do on the ground this year because they've been able to win in different ways. Pollard's getting down on the edge. Zeke's been able to live between the tackles. Like, they're, they're doing pretty well this year on the ground. Yeah, I, I just think that's the value of having a smart quarterback. You're not going to run into bad looks. You're going to mm-hmm. run into good looks only. So, yeah, I think it's a big factor. 
Yeah, and right, the Zeke loaded box stats have been used for a couple of years, right? How Zeke's efficiency changes when he's running into those loaded boxes. That's what your quarterback's able to get you out of. Kellen Moore's doing a lot of really cool stuff offensively in terms of giving Dak packages pre-snap, right? Giving him multiple looks, giving him stuff he can get in and out of if he wants. And then Pollard as a receiver is also a credit to a smart quarterback. If you think about like Phillip Rivers and how much he targeted running backs, uh, typically if you have a, a quarterback who understands how to process very quickly and get to just advantageous looks right away, that's a heavy running back target quarterback. Because very often they'll be like, they're, they're, dropping, they're dropping zone. If I get this to the running back right now, He's going to have five yards to pick up, make a guy miss, make it eight yards. You know what I mean? And they'll just take that every day of the week. It's free money. So that's where you start to see Prescott be, I think, heavier on running back targets as well. As he's starting to recognize, I can just take this. It's free right now, and then I can go get my, my deeper shots later. Yep. All right. Uh, that game is, is fascinating to me. The other game that's fascinating to me uh, in terms of this second segment is Raiders versus Chargers, which is a team that's 3-0 and in the Raiders, and I think is a little bit better uh, than we expected in terms of the record. And then the Chargers, who we definitely think are good, and they're 2-1, and one, but they've kind of been a little bit all over the place in terms of how they won their games. They played Washington tight, and they played Dallas tight, and they played Kansas City tight. And it's like they're just kind of mired in these, these close games. Feels like the Chargers' seasons of old. Uh, firstly, we should note, uh, it's the revenge game of the week, which like there's going to be nine games that are the revenge game of this week. I'm just going to spoil that for y'all. Denzel Perryman, Casey Hayward, baby, going back <laughs> to face the Chargers. Darius Philon. Roderick Teamer, and then Jared Cook. But mostly it's just a bunch of defensive holdovers that Gus Bradley stole from the Chargers and brought with him to the Raiders. Uh, to me, the most interesting thing for this game uh, is my spoiler alert, which I think it's going to be a total dud. I brought up the fact that primetime games have generally been great. This is the Monday night game. I think it's going to be a stinker. What are you thinking? Why? A, because <laughs> all the other like primetime games looked like they were going to be bad, and then they were good. And this one looks like it's going to be good. So just a little psychology. reverse psychology. But secondly, here's why. Looks like Josh Jacobs is still going to be out. Uh, so that Raiders running game, which is abysmal, not necessarily going to be able to take advantage of a, a Chargers rush defense that's just atrocious. Meanwhile, Derek Carr's pushing the ball downfield more than he ever has. That's great, right? Chargers put a roof on you. Chargers take away that downfield pass, and they do it pretty well. Other side of the ball, Steven and I were whining about this in the DMs this week because Steven was doing some Herbert stuff. The Chargers are just turtles on early downs, right? They're, they're, they're running the ball, and they're running short play action, and they're not pushing the ball down the field. They're going to be uh, working directly into the teeth, of the, the strong part of this Raiders defense, which is the front four as they try to run this, and they try to run RPOs with unblocked Max Crosby and unblocked Yannick Ngakwe barreling down on, on Justin Herbert. If the third down regression hits a little bit, which is potential, you know, Herbert's kind of just succeeding on third downs forever— Steven, if it hits, don't wag your head He's at me. He's the best quarterback that's ever played. It's not Don't wag your head at me. All I'm saying is that both defenses have good matchups against how these offenses play. And I think the Chargers' success has been a little bit fraudulent just because they're kind of like all over the place to get penalties, to get these explosive gains. And then the Raiders feel like they're overachieving a little bit. Combine it all together, and I think the Chargers win like 13-6. to six. I think it's just super <laughs> Whoa. Ugly. Jesus. You think it's going to be that ugly? Look, yes. the best the best quarterback in the league is not going to only score thirteen points. You've got. I'm I'm this. on it now. No, no, he he's the third best quarterback in the league, and that's an actual that's a serious take. But here's my theory on the third down stuff. It's the only time they let Justin Herbert actually be a real quarterback and play in a real offense, and that's why the stats look so great on third down and they look so bad on first and second down. One, the running game. I don't think it's that good. 
Two, the play-action passing game stinks. Like, he's one of the yes. worst quarterbacks on play-action on early downs. And it stinks not because of Josh – or because of Justin Herbert. I almost called him Josh Allen. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> it's because the plays stink. Like, I watched all their play-action dropbacks. This is what they do. They send – it's usually like a half-field read. They send mm-hmm. the, the number two receiver deep. That's the slot receiver deep. They send the outside receiver on a little out deep out. And if that's covered, Herbert checks it down to the flat. And yeah. teams – like, we've seen those out routes. Like, Herbert's hit a bunch of them, right? It's either that or it's the check down, and that's why the play-action numbers aren't that good because he's got to throw a tough pass or he's got to check it down to a back that's going to go for, like, four yards. Yeah. I said that the smart quarterbacks get the ball to the running backs, but in this case, stop no. being smart and start throwing the ball. Just be aggressive. Just push it. Be dumb. You have the arm. Get away with it, you know? Can we get a, a play-action pass with a crosser? That's all I ask. Yeah. Can right. we get one? I mean, he threw – I think he's thrown one, like, all season. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It feels like the play-action game, like Steven's saying, is really stagnant. Because even watching it, like, against the Cowboys, everything, if you look at that passing chart, it's almost exclusively all to the sideline, deep, intermediate, and then everything else is short and close to the line of scrimmage. So they need to find a way to, like Steven is saying, activate Herbert in the passing mm-hmm. game earlier in the downs instead of just letting yeah. him rip it on third. I'll tell you how to activate him. Deactivate Joe Lombardi as your play caller. <laughs> I uh, I watch this offense and the way that Herbert plays in it, and I get extreme late-era Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers vibes. Mm-hmm. Extreme. Like, oh, let's run a simple concept. No, stop it. He's good. Run something better. Like, come on now. You got to know what you have. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Okay, we've hit Steven's number one trope, which is calling Justin Herbert the best quarterback. Let's hit Steven's number two trope, which is canceling a team, which for those of you playing at home, Steven has canceled the Titans, who are 2-0 and since they were canceled, and has canceled the Vikings, who are 1-0 and since they were canceled, both teams with wins off of the Seattle Seahawks when he canceled them. We go to Steven for his comments. I'm canceling Seattle. Like I said, <laughs> Very I said last week, if Seattle doesn't beat Minnesota, you know, I put the possibility out there that they, they weren't going to beat them. I'm canceling them. And they've, they lost to them. They've been canceled. And I'm canceling them because, one, the defense is just a mess. But I feel like they'll figure it out eventually. I don't know what to think about this offense, though. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, it's Seattle versus San Francisco in the 4 o'clock slate, which is the game that the Seahawks have. Steven's both canceling Seattle and putting Jimmy on must-win watch, so doubling down on a Niners win in this game. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm saying right. he better win. Are we gonna, right. We're going to start talking about Trey Lance, which we, we should mm-hmm. be doing already. I know that Jimmy played relatively well against the Packers, right. but that's a game – like, you can't run on the Packers – Put Trey Lance in, please, mm-hmm. and just run for 250 yards every – beat Georgia Southern uh, when they beat – I forget who they upset, but they ran for like 300 yards. Be Auburn that type of team. this past week? 
Yeah. Oh, did they? No, I was yep. thinking about like they beat like Florida like a couple years ago. But be a service academy team if you have to. <laughs> Anything better than Jimmy Garoppolo throwing three yard passes at mm-hmm. twenty times a game? Kalen, what are you most concerned? There's a lot to be concerned about in this game. There's San Francisco offense via uh, Jimmy and just kind of how he's been playing. There's Seattle offense in terms of hey, let's super explosive passing touchdowns in the first half and then fall asleep. And then there's Seattle defense, which is what if we still don't cover everyone, but this time Bobby Wagner is bad and he, he can't account for all of our problems. What's the biggest concern here? Okay, so out of those three things, I would have said the Niners offensive line, especially the right side, because I think Justice no, Mosqueda pointed this out. Like, that was horrible. But we're going to go with Seattle's defense because, like you said, Bobby Wagner is not playing at the same level and they're giving up a lot of big plays. And if the offense, which is, you know, kind of doing that – sleeping giant thing that they usually do throughout the first half of the year and then wake up in the second half. If they're going to do that through the first half of the year again, I think that's probably the biggest concern because the defense, while it kind of figured its way out of being the worst pass defense in NFL history throughout Mm -hmm. eight games or whatever it was last year, like I don't know if like you're going to get that same type of spurt throughout the second half. And I don't know if the problems are as fixable as they were last year. So I think I'm a little bit more concerned about their defense moving forward than I am about San Francisco's offensive line, although the right side of that line is it's not great. Their right yeah. guard is always bad. It doesn't matter who they put there. He's I didn't want to pick on him. I, I don't want to say his name. name. Names. He's not doing too yeah. well. But, too but well. like this is how every Seattle season goes, it seems like, in the like, last five years. is like right. growing pains in the first half. They get a little hot in the second half, and everyone's like, oh, this is the team you don't want to play in the playoffs, and then they lose the first playoff game. <laughs> uh, they usually lose the second playoff game, but yeah, no, the point's taken. Yeah, uh, yeah so sometimes they they win. Yeah. They win I just want to know what happens first. Uh, I turn forty, or Seattle fans figure out that they're never going to have a pass rush ever, no matter how hyped they get in the off season. Every <laughs> single year, on Robinson, baby, he's a fifth round pick, guys. Like we cannot do this again. Every year, it's okay. They got uh, Jamal Adams. Yep, edge That's safety, Jamal rush. Adams. <laughs> All right, three games left in this docket. Uh, I have uh, Kansas City against the Philadelphia Eagles. Might as well just get this Band-Aid off. Uh, listen, the, oh, Chiefs have lost, the Chiefs have lost back-to-back games for only the second time uh, in Mahomes' career. Uh, he came back uh, after the, the two losses. It was early in 2019. They faced Denver. They were beating up on them. Mahomes uh, got banged up. That was the knee injury he had in the middle of that season. So they won, they won that game. Mahomes missed the next couple games, came back, lost a really big game against the Titans, and then proceeded to win the last six in the regular season, make it to the playoffs, and then subsequently win the Super Bowl. So I don't really love facing Mahomes off of like his only his second time ever with a consecutive loss. Uh, he also lost both these games in September. It's the first time they've really ever lost a game in September. I think the Chiefs are like in a very clear, we just need to settle down and get right spot. And now they're getting a defense in the Philadelphia Eagles, who you can name two players that play not on the defensive line on the Eagles defense. There's just no personnel. They just don't have the bodies. And we, we all knew this. They had a, a good game against Atlanta and they were able to keep San Francisco muted a little bit. And we were all like, Oh, you know, they're, they're cutting down on explosives right now. They're, they're the lowest explosive pass rate defense in the league. They're going to be fine. And then they ran into Dallas and Dallas just <laughs> lit them on fire. for four quarters. I mean, they, 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 they play with light boxes. And so they, the, uh, they got run on constantly, Zeke and Pollard. And then when 
Prescott dropped back to pass. I mean, it was like the Dalton Schultz game. You know what I mean? Like, they just – anybody they wanted, they had. Uh, so, my thoughts and prayers go out to the Eagles defense. That's my look on this game because I think that the Chiefs are going to be in clear get-right mode. They get Buffalo not this upcoming Sunday but next Sunday, so they do need a win. They do need a tune-up to make sure they win that game. Uh, and all that stands in the way is an Eagles defense that, like, plays Marcus Epps for 75 snaps. Like, there, it's going to be abysmal. If you had problems covering Dalton Schultz, yeah. Travis Kelsey might be a problem. That's my analysis. That's my next-gen analysis. It's good to know that uh, Jonathan Gannon, the new DC of the Eagles, is carrying on the Jim Schwartz tradition of being shocked that tight ends are allowed to run out in routes and catch passes. Just, uh, oh, my goodness, how could they possibly? Uh, So that's going to be a mess. Uh, Kalen, timeline therapy for Steelers versus Packers. I I think I could guess where the timeline therapy is whenever we bring up the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'd like for you to take it away. Oh, dude, we you mentioned it already. You kind of teased it when you brought up Steven's tweet, which is pretty incredible. I don't know how long it takes you to make these compilations of just crappy quarterback play, but it's magnificent. It's set to what music is that, like 1800s? I, I, I Googled... Uh, I can actually check. I think I, I googled say, take us in the si- creative process. Silent movie soundtrack. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Anyway, like it it's pretty sad and you know we've rehashed this a few times on the pod like how bad Ben Roethlisberger is at this point. Um I guess I'll use that as a segue into like questioning whether or not this matchup between the Steelers and the Packers is going to be the Najee Harris game. Like I'm really curious to see after last week, I mean, what, he had 100 yards on receiving on 14 catches and 19 targets last week um, against the Bengals. But my question is, against the Packers' defensive line and Joe Barry's defense, is there an opportunity for the Steelers to kind of get something going on the ground as they really, really want to do? I'm kind of curious, like, is this game going to be the trap game for the Packers? Because... Don't get me wrong, like, they, they looked good last week against San Francisco when they had the ball, but they didn't have the ball too much. They didn't look great against New Orleans, started slow against Detroit. Aaron Rodgers is able to be Aaron Rodgers when, you know, he wants to be against some of these defenses, but the Steelers' secondary is pretty damn good. I don't expect him to have as much success and kind of be able to hit Devontae Adams whenever he wants. I think this could be a trap game for the, for the Packers. I really do, and I, I don't think that – Ben Roethlisberger playing horribly, Najee Harris not being able to establish himself. I, I think that's that could be a good enough solution for them to win this game. I think there's I would, a, at least a I path for them to die if the Packers lose to the Steelers. I think I would I would ascend to the ethereal plane. You might you might be dying then. I feel like there's a path. I can envision a scenario in which the Steelers win this game. T.J. Watt is back. He's practicing this week. Yep. If they shut down that run game on fir- on first and second down, and kind of, and maybe Lafleur stays to the run game a little too much, and they could start blitzing Rodgers on third down, I think it could cause some issues for the Packers' offense. And like Kalen said, they should have some success on offense against this defense and how they play defense. They're going to give up that short stuff. So I think Ben, it won't be as hard. He won't be throwing as many contested passes. I could see them controlling the clock, keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field, and when he does get on the field, it doesn't look great. I think it would look a little bit like the Packers-Bucks game last year in the regular season when he got blitzed a ton and threw some interceptions. That's how it has to be. But I could see it happening. Now, do I think it's going to happen? No. Because Ben Roethlisberger is Mm -hmm. (laughs) the second worst starting quarterback in the league right now. Oh, yeah? 
Oh, so and I'm putting first. Davis Mills. It's, it's oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think in the pre-show, I remember, or in the production meeting, Steven described this game as the stoppable force against the movable object in the Steelers' <laughs> offense and the Packers' defense. Uh, just letting the two of you psychos know, Steelers are plus six and a half, so you can go ahead and take that line uh, to, to, to fit your confidence here in the potential Steelers' win. I'm going to bet on it right after this game, and I'm going to shove it in your here. face when we win. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, can't, I don't think it's possible. If, if, but... if, if the Steelers cover... Me and Kaylin take your spot on the Ringer Gambling Show next week. <laughs> Honestly, no, someone no, no, no. should. If if the Steelers win, Ben has to actually sing Tracy Chapman because, yes, like, for those who deal. don't know, behind the scenes, like that has been a joke, a running joke since this podcast started. That Ben loves Tracy Chapman in Fast Car. I think I, I don't even know. No, I didn't. I have no background of this song. It was just it's somebody the, said, "Give me a reason." S- yeah, give me just oh, give me a reason. reason. Yep. There yes, you go. and so they want me to sing it in the intro. And if the Steelers <laughs> win, yes, Kalen, I will actually do that. But they will not win because that would be nuts. Uh, our last game uh, for games that need games is Cleveland versus Minnesota, which like it looks like a good game, like two and one teams, you know, similar play style. Kevin Stefanski revenge game. Um, but in general, like there just doesn't seem to be too much interesting. I think that the Browns are better on both sides of the ball, and I expect them to be able to control this game. So the only one I have for this is my thoughts and prayers go out to Rashad Hill, the starting left tackle, who we've already uh, you know brought up before on this podcast for the role he unfortunately has to play. It's very interesting. Uh, their first round pick, Christian Darrisaw, practiced in full this week, and yet they've said that Rashad ba- or excuse me, not Rashad Bateman, Rashad Hill is their guy at left tackle. So like Kubiak said, he's going up against Miles Garrett, who had uh, four and a half sacks last week uh, against also a bad wash veteran tackle in Jason Peters, though a little bit different situation. The reason our thoughts of prayers go out to Rashad Hills, because if Garrett gets three sacks in this game, which is a lot, but it's less than last week, uh, he will have the most sacks through 55 career games in NFL history, passing Derek Thomas. He's been hot on Thomas's heels. It looked like he wouldn't be able to catch it, but then he got four and a half sacks against the Bears. Uh, so now he's kind of within range. So uh, our thoughts of prayers go out to Rashad Hill, who gets Miles Garrett coming off of a career game. May God be with you. It's nuts because if you look at ESPN's pass rush win rate individually for like edge defenders out of that top 10, number four, Tack McKinley, number five, Miles Garrett, number six, Javion Clowney. I feel really bad for Mr. Hill this week. Yeah. Is that just based on the Bears game completely? It could be, but they yeah. were looking for it. I mean, McKinley looked pretty good against the Chiefs. I remember being Malik McDowell also, uh, who they've yeah. got playing in the interior. Like, it's it's it is a rotation it is like we have different guys for different roles i don't love the browns defensive line but they're really making the most of it in, in I, a way that I, i'm impressed by i was saying this all off season this is the 2019 49ers for me hmm. this is that big type defensive of improvement plus big defensive line yeah. yeah and then shanahan type offense obviously mm-hmm. i think the quarterback's a little bit better are a little more capable of creating on his own I think they actually do have similar strengths and weaknesses as pocket passers. And uh, the team is more talented from top to bottom, I'd, I'd argue, yeah. especially on offense. But, yeah, this like, is a game I want to see. This is a good test for the uh, Browns defense against yeah. a, a pretty good offense. Boy, rookie second-round pick Jeremiah Wusukoromoa played outside Ooh. his God-given mind mm-hmm. against the Bears. He was really good. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Okay, those are our games that need games, which bring us, of course, to our final segment, Give Me a Reason, which will not be introed but with song unless the Steelers beat the Packers this Sunday, in which case it will be. Uh, we have six games on the docket. Uh, football team against the Falcons, Texans against the Bills, Colts against the Dolphins, Lions against the Bears, Titans against the Jets, and Giants against the Saints. Fellas, what do we want? I want Atlanta, Washington. Okay. I have no interest in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, there's really, there's not, um, it's not great. So firstly, potential for Curtis Samuel back, which I think is exciting. Uh, Curtis Samuel missed the first three games. He's been uh, limited in practice this week. They're trying to get him up to speed for this game on Sunday. Curtis Samuel was really good and fun in the Scott Turner offense in Carolina two years ago. Uh, and this Washington passing game does need a shot in the arms. I think Curtis Samuel coming back could be fun. It could be important. The other thing is the Washington defense has really, really, really been a disappointment so far through three weeks of the season. Uh, Their defensive line, not having the success people expected, though their pass rush win rate is pretty good. Their pressure rate is pretty good. They're just not stopping their opponents the way they were expected to. Uh, The defensive backfield has a lot to do with that. Well, if you need a get-right game, may I present the Atlanta Falcons offense, uh, who just absolutely abysmal they're 25th right now in pass block win rate so the, the defensive line should get a a game back and right now they have alameda zakia's taking 50 percent of their snaps they've t- targeted kyle pitts like four times they are nowhere on offense so washington defense get right game plus curtis samuel back nope yeah. nope <laughs> not watching you got show. me I'm sorry fine fine i'm saying yes because i'm a curtis samuel fan yeah and i'm yeah, waiting yeah. for him to break out eventually so i'll watch thanks ben thanks for yeah. giving me some love i i i didn't expect to win that one that's a tough one <laughs> the atlanta falcons are going to remain a tough one for me i was going to do like a ted lasso thing but the reality is i haven't <laughs> watched a single episode of ted lasso so i need uh, i need uh, arthur smith to carry me on that one all right five games left what do we want uh give me houston and buffalo uh, Tyrod Taylor revenge game, even though he's not playing. Don't worry about it. It still applies. Uh, also, the Taiwan Jones and Andre Roberts revenge games, in case anyone cares. Yes, I do have a sheet of all of the revenge games uh, made by Anthony Ryan. It is a good follow on Twitter. You should follow him. It is a very revenge game heavy week. Uh, yeah, this is where, okay, firstly, it's our first game of the NFL season with like a 17-point spread. Those are always fun. Uh, the previous really big spread was Houston against the Browns in week two. And that was a game which I told you that the Houston offense is kind of doing some fun things. Tyrod Taylor's playing pretty well. Tyrod Taylor revenge game, I think they could possibly cover. And that all happened. So I'm here to say the Texans offense is doing some kind of fun things. Davis Mills was not that no. bad against He was not that bad do, against Do the Panthers. buzzer now. Do the buzzer he now. He was not that bad against Panthers. Thank you. He had no picks. Did not turn the ball over. Which, in a rookie for his first start against a team that's been generating a lot of turnovers, to me, that's very impressive. Uh, he hit that, that little sail hole shot, cover two. They, he ran a two-minute drill successfully. He was not terrible. And they're still doing cool stuff on offense in terms of RPOs and, and switch releases, opening up guys at the second level. I think their receiving core is a little bit better than we realized. We thought their offensive line. So I think, again, Houston on a multi-touchdown spread is able to cover it because Davis Mills is not that bad. That's the reason to tune in. Uh, I'm going to do the buzzer again. Oh, man. You're, you're not giving me David. Davis our producer, Mills. Our producer, Chris, gave, a, gave me a ding right after I finished it. I was like, oh, Chris likes it. That's good. I appreciate it. I, I would actually watch this game <laughs> because I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be closer than people realize. Yeah. And uh, I would like to see the Bills right. fans freak out. I think it so. will. I just don't want to watch Davis Mills. You know, I, I, that's awesome. They had a few good passes. He wasn't that bad, like you said, Ben. But By the way, uh, Feel bad for Davis Mills. Thursday night, they did the, the cartoons of the rookie quarterback. Steven knows what I'm talking about. Steven likes the cartoons. Uh, all of the, the the early drafted ones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, meticulously made, super handsome, looking statuesque superheroes. The Davis Mills one looked like somebody threw it together in an hour, man. Like, they just got the big neck, shaved head. That's it. Like, yep, that's Davis Mills. Nobody knows what he looks like. We're going to be fine.
Yeah, his didn't even get like shadows on it and like yeah. highlights. He didn't even yeah. get the finer detail. They were just like, just no. give him this one. And it was six forty-five, hour and a half till kickoff, and they're like, all right, set up the graphic. Did we not? Did no one make Davis? We gotta make Davis Mills. And they just jammed out as much of a generic white dude as they could right away. Four games left. What do we want? Give us the uh, revenge game of the week. That's uh, okay. So actually. I have, two, I have two games on my sheet, which I've written Revenge Game of the Week. But Jacoby Brissett, Indianapolis uh, Colts versus the Miami Dolphins. This is actually my Revenge Game of the Week. Julian Davenport also is a tackle for the Colts. Used to be with the Dolphins, apparently. Shout out again to Anthony Reinhardt. Uh, so A, Jacoby Brissett Revenge Game. But B, and like this is like actual argument for Jacoby Brissett Revenge Game. They opened up that passing game in the fourth quarter when they needed to against the Raiders because they were down by, by a score. Looked good. Will Fuller there. Devontae Parker downfield. Like This was a part of the passing game they did not get with Tua Tungo-Vailoa back there. This offensive line is the major concern. It's You can't sit and drop back there because they're going to give up immediate pressure. The Colts right now, I found this when I was doing Carolina Panthers stuff, they have 12 pressures as a team through three games. I don't, I don't like, it's legitimately hard to only get four pressures a game. Like, that takes effort to not, they just do not blitz. They, they, their, their, their games have not been as effective. They wanted rookie Quiddy Pay to be a big part of, of their pass rush. He's been uh, banged up, and they haven't had success from him early. This is a really, really stale defense, and it comes because they cannot generate pressure. So, Cowards. Bri- Cowardly Listen. defense. Yeah, we don't like the Everflues defense. Regardless, Jacoby Brissett able to push the ball downfield. Miami pass protection, actually able to hold up. They've had a couple of really rough matchups against Buffalo, against the Raiders, some really good pressure teams. It gets a lot easier this week. I think the Dolphins air it out. I think the Dolphins sling it. I think the Dolphins win this game. And it legitimately, actually this time is a Jacoby Brissett revenge game. Gotta like that. If only there was another example of the Dolphins opening up the passing game against the Raiders in the fourth quarter and it not leading to anything in the following weeks. It kind of did. Oh, and I did fix it. Okay, but in that instance, Fizz got benched for Tua again. <laughs> this time, Brissett absolutely is playing next week. That's true. Come on. Uh, all right, I'll watch. Yes. <laughs> I'll watch too. Yeah, come on, Jacoby. He's fun to root for, man. He was playing. He was playing great. They clearly like him. Again, I do not want to go into what this means for Tua Tagovailoa, but I was impressed with Brissett against the Raiders. Three game, three game, two games, three games left. What do you want? Uh, the Chicago Bears who pissed me off watching in Detroit Lions. Yep. I mean, this is the whole sell, and I better get a ding out of both of you because it is absolutely correct. Uh, I don't know what you guys felt when you were angrily live tweeting about Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears offense, but I felt amazing. All right. That feels great. The dopamine rush I get from being like an NFL head coach is an idiot and I'm smarter than him while factually incorrect. Oh God, it feels amazing. Uh, so tune in because the bears are going to run the same exact freaking offense. I can promise you that. And it's not going to look good. It's going to be, it's going to be better because the Detroit defense isn't as good, but it's still going to be really, really frustrating. So one of two things happens. They run the same offense. It's maddening. We all get to tweet Matt Nagy memes. It's great. Or they actually improve the offense. It's better. We get to watch Justin Fields be good, and that's great. So win-win either way. This has got to be it. Yeah, you sold me on this. Good yeah, job. Yeah, come on. Kale, I knew sell. I got Kayla with the Matt sell. Nagy tweeting. Great yeah, yeah. sell. Yep. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm, I'm with you here, too. And you, you left out. We get to see Jared Goff against this Bears defense again with – 
he struggles against it every time he's played it. But now he doesn't have Sean McVay in his helmet telling him what to do. So it could be even worse than normal. And I think that like the Lions defense, pass defense, is like astonishingly bad. Like in a league of their own. Minus I mean, are, they've, they've had injuries, so yeah, it's it's rough. Zero point four six EPA per dropback. Oh dear. That's <laughs> that's like Jesus. A Patrick Mahomes game where he's just on fire and can't be stopped. Yeah, but every single yeah. game. That's literally a touchdown every 15 dropbacks. That's seven yeah. points every 15 dropbacks. That's abysmal. Uh, yeah, so to me, to me, that, that's going to be a fun one just for the chaos of it. Two games left. What do we want? Uh, let's go with uh, Tennessee, a team I canceled, and the Jets. <laughs> a team that okay. I should have canceled. Yes. So, I mean, let's uh, – everybody's been kind of going through it. It's, it, it's been a – it's like one like nobody wants to say it, come out and say it, so I'll come out and say it. The Titans are beat up enough that the Jets can maybe beat them, right? And so we've seen a lot of comments about the Titans' injuries to this point, but to walk it through for those who haven't, both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones did not practice on Thursday, so did outside linebacker Bud Dupree with a knee, uh, Caleb Farley starting rookie corner with a shoulder, Leryl Murchison, their starting uh, defensive lineman with an elbow, Taylor Lewan was limited in Thursday practice after missing Wednesday, Roger Saffold was limited Thursday, and he was limited Wednesday, Brent Kern, their punter, didn't practice on Thursday. They are banged up in Tennessee. The one thing the Jets can't do is cover anybody, right? The corner room is abysmal. If both Brown and Julio miss this game, then it's Josh Reynolds and Nick Westbrook-Akine against the Jets' defensive backfield. They actually have a shot in hanging. That's number one. Number two is Zach Wilson, who clearly has not played super well, obviously. I'm going to give you that. Has faced some really tough defenses. Uh, New England, Denver. Tennessee defense, much easier to throw the football against. I'm just saying there's a chance that after, like, a massive season-defining win, it's way too early, but whatever, they beat the Seahawks in a very important game, and then they beat the Colts, and they're in the top of their division. There's a chance the Titans lose to the winless Jets, and it's hilarious. That is my reason to watch the game. I'm in. Dude, I'm killing it this week. (laughs) Let's go. You preyed on my – the fact that I canceled the Titans, so I kind of want them to lose. If they go, like, undefeated after I cancel them, I'm going to look like an idiot. So, yeah. <laughs> that is true. But I would love to keep updating the stats with teams you canceled <laughs> just being totally undefeated for as long as possible. It's like the Adam Gase bump. <laughs> right, but the opposite. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, like, I don't know – it's, it's going to have to be a Zach, good Zach Wilson game. Like, I don't know what the model is on offense. But on defense, I do think, like, the Jets' run defense is pretty solid. And I don't think the Titans are going to be able to throw it if they're missing both Brandon and Julio. They have nobody. So, mm-hmm. there's a shot. Last but not least – Giants against the Saints. Uh, the Giants are just so bad right now. Uh, so, again, it's like the Falcons. I'm really struggling to come up with an idea. I have two for you. One, uh, Daniel Jones right now is third in the league in quarterback rushing. Uh, Lamar is first. And then Jalen Hurts is second by, like, less than 10 yards. So, number one, Daniel Jones dual threat quarterback watch. See if he can keep pace with Hurts and Lamar. And then number two, uh, there's already talk about Jason Garrett on the hot seat with play calling, which to me is hilarious. Uh, as if he's done anything in the past three weeks that he didn't do last year or didn't do over a decade with the Cowboys. I don't know what new thing they've discovered, but that's getting thrown around. The best alternative on their offensive coaching staff I can find, by the way, is Freddie Kitchens, which would be oh, hilarious if he ended up replacing Jason Garrett as the play caller midseason. Uh Garrett was asked about Joe Judge's decision to punt on fourth and three from the 39-yard line with the game still uh, within reach. 
and said, uh, we always try to be prepared as an offense, but that's the coach's decision. You just get ready to call your play, and you hope that the coach will let you do it. He would have uh, done it, too. He would have punted, too. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you, you, We've seen you coach before, yeah. Garrett. <laughs> For a long time. Uh, so, Jason Garrett, hot seat watch, plus Daniel Jones, dual threat quarterback watch. Would you like to watch this game, yes or no? You failed to mention that he is has the fifth highest passing grade on PFF right now, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones the does? top five quarterback. You're listen, talking to. Listen, listen. Eyebrow raise. And we know these grades are infallible. Like you listen. They're beyond reproach. No, he's got one turnover in three games. This is huge. This his is, fum- Daniel his, Jones is like legitimately decent now. His fumble grade is somehow still 28.2. Boy. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> Look, uh, Ben, if, if Jason Garrett somehow decided to save his job and – allow Daniel Jones to be dual threat option read quarterback Daniel Jones I'd be here for it mm-hmm. so I'll say I'll say yes for your sake but no in reality because <laughs> my thing is this offense probably probably looks a lot better with Freddie Kitchens calling it here, here's here's my main thing that that blows my mind two things are true one Daniel Jones is third in the league right now and be rushing yards and secondly They've been the worst red zone team since Jason Garrett took over. They're 22 for 50 in the red zone in terms of touchdowns. I cannot tell you how hard it is to go less than 50% touchdowns when you get in the red zone. So, quarterback very good at running. We don't know what to do in the red zone. This is not a hard dot to connect, man. Like, yeah. he is huge and big and physical and also fast. And and you're not going to want to sign him to a second contract, so who cares? Just run him into the ground now. Oh, like, Steven. Oh, my goodness. All right, we're wrapping on that. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in. Running into the ground. He's not Aaron Jones. It's not a run. I mean, he's kind of running back. Oh, so we could could run Aaron Jones into the ground, but God forbid we run Daniel Jones into the ground. That's our Friday show. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. That was a fun one. Steven and I are on every Monday show, not previewing the week, but recapping the week. That's with Kevin Clark and Nora Princiani. So make sure you're subscribed on Spotify to the Ringer NFL show so you can catch our thoughts on the ensuing Sunday action. And, of course, this show. Every Friday for the season, all the way through the season, giving you the preview stuff that you like. So thank you to Kaylin and Steven. And thank you, of course, to our production assistant, Christopher Sutton, and uh, Adrena Ramkopal, who provides additional production supervision. We will catch you same time, same place next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.